So I want to let you know that uh, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, is not here this morning. He is with his wife, Brianna, at a retreat, and uh, they have been there um, all this weekend and even just a little bit before the weekend. It's a long weekend, and it's a retreat, a couple's retreat put on by our district. So they're having a chance to connect with uh, other people throughout our district uh, as a couple, etc. So it's a, a great time for them to do that, and we will welcome them back, of course, um, later this week. My name is Jeff Forster. I'm serving as one of the elders here, and you're going to hear from some other elders pretty soon as well. Um, my name is Larry, as Jeff mentioned, one of the elders, and, and I'm going to kind of introduce what we're going to do here today. So as I think uh, those of you who have been with us know, we've been going through the book, book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book I would have never picked to <laughs> go through or preach on, but I've really enjoyed what Ryan's had to share. And I'm going to start off by summarizing a few of the things that we've learned as we've gone through through the journey with Ryan. But um, you know, we mentioned Ryan is, uh, we gave him permission to go to the pastors and wives retreat. His family is nearby with their uh, grandparents, his kids. And I, I received a message from him this morning saying they're praying for us here that, that uh, God would, would work and move among us and that uh, we would sense Jesus here. And when he left, he, he um, originally asked for Malcolm Brewer. Um, and I think most of you know and love Malcolm Brewer um, to um, Phil the pulpit where he's gone, and Malcolm uh, ended up in the hospital. He's out now, which is the good news. He's feeling better, so y'all, y'all can be praying for Malcolm. He even volunteered to come back after he got out of the hospital. We said, no, please don't. <laughs> Stay there and get better. So we, uh, the three of us elders who are going to be um, sharing this time said we would, we would do it, but only if Ryan uh, let me play with a smoke machine. So the question is, how do you turn it on? How do you get it to work? Let's see. I'll just press all the buttons, see what happens. There we go. <laughs> oh, that was totally worth it. <laughs> Hebel. I've wanted to say that word <laughs> publicly. Oh, I've got to turn it off probably, huh? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> wow, now I can't see anybody. <laughs> of course, I really couldn't see you before. So, But anyway. Uh, we've been studying about hevel. Everybody remembers what the word hevel means, right? It is smoke, vapor. It's stuff that's meaningless. And often when we read um, Ecclesiastes, we see the word vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And the, the, the Hebrew word for that is hevel, uh, smoke or vapor. And um, Pastor Ryan's been sharing through the series how in this smoke-filled life in which we live, there's much that we cannot predict, right? We can't predict, let alone control a lot of what happens in life. A lot of it just simply happens to us. And we've been reading how um, ostensibly the wisest man who ever lived, aside from Jesus, who is Solomon, the king, who God granted him great wisdom, um, didn't necessarily apply that wisdom in his life. And he got to the end of his life, and he, he just he, he thought about all the things he'd done, his pursuit of pleasure, his pursuit of wealth, of power. And um, he just realized it didn't last. It was hevel. It was smoke, right? And um, so the book of Ecclesiastes um, teaches us that our ultimate hope in the midst of all that smoke is in God's justice and the fact that God loves us and he will do the right thing. And now we know what Solomon didn't, and that was the demonstration of God's justice, which was in Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for us that we would be freed from our sin. And uh, he conquered, he broke the power of evil, sin, and death. 
and he made all things new. And he, he instituted what Ryan called a heavenly rescue, which will overturn death. It'll make straight what is crooked and it'll wash us clean, purchasing for us a future and a hope. These were things Solomon, from his perspective, I think he wondered about, saw hinted at in Scripture. He knew the Messiah was coming, but he didn't know the half of it in terms of who Jesus was and, and what he would do for us. Trusting in Jesus, we all look forward to his ultimate return to dispel the smoke once and for all. But in the meantime, we want to live well in the midst of life's challenges and complexities. Christ's Holy Spirit in us enables us to do just that. And with his power and presence to buoy us up, we can experience thankfulness, fear, fear, fearlessness, and victorious living amid all the smoke, all the hevel, right? So here are some things that Ryan summarized in uh, Ecclesiastes, things that we basically uh, have to admit we do not know. And here's just a couple of bullet points here. We do not know how to predict the future. At least most of us don't. We do not know how to do that which God alone can do. And we do not know how to guarantee success and avoid failure. I think we've all tried with that whether it's in our families, with our kids, and our jobs. We'd love to be able to guarantee that we will be successful, but there's no guarantee. And uh, failure is something that we all experience in one way or another. So an- another question is, how do we live well when we don't know and we aren't in control? These are things that Ryan shared with us. Wise living means holding loosely to life and its possessions. And that's some- not something we do easily. We want to we clutch onto those things. Wise living means neither success nor failure, is ultimate. It doesn't last. And wise living is its own reward. So those are some of the things we've learned in past weeks. Christ's invitation to us through Solomon is threefold. First of all, be bold. And our friend Lars Pasek is going to share, or sorry, uh, Dan's going to share, Dan Amos is going to share about boldness and what Ecclesiastes 11 has to say with that. And then uh, Lars will be up next after Dan, and he'll share about, um, his message will be be joyful and godly. And then when Lars is done, I'll come back up and I'm going to share a little bit about, uh, from uh, Ecclesiastes 4, about um, be in community with one another and most of all, be connected to the vine, be connected to Christ. So these imperatives hold the key to thankful, fearless, victorious living in the midst of life's smoke. Right, Dan? So I can say confidently that my success is guaranteed here today because either I'm going to make you do a good job here and you're going to be thankful for that, or you're going to be really thankful that Ryan comes back next week. Um, I am especially thankful for him because he gave up his uh, outline that he was going to preach in two weeks, or yeah, I think two weeks. Uh, So he's going to have to come up with something else, but he gave it to us and um, I can guarantee you that this picture up here was not something that he was planning to use, but be bold was the one that I wanted to take on because even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we are told to also live well anyway and be bold as part of that. And in men's Bible study, uh, this uh, episode of Star Trek came to me. I'm not going to talk about Lord of the Rings because I don't know anything about that. I don't get it at all. Uh, but I do know Star Trek. And there was an episode 30 years ago that really spoke to me, and it was about being bold. 
And in this uh, episode, I, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I wonder if the writer was thinking about Ecclesiastes when he wrote this. And I looked it up yesterday, did an extensive two-minute Google search. And what he was really looking at was a Christmas carol. And he was going to have several different episodes uh, in this person's life, but he could only do one. So to me, it's more allegorical of Ecclesiastes, and that's how we're going to use it. So in this episode, Captain Picard, the smaller person there on the right, um, had an episode in his early life that caused him to die 30 years later. And because this is TV, he had the chance to go back 30 years and change that decision. Um, The large being there uh, in the episode, I didn't want to show the sword coming through the chest, but he kills him. So that's just something to to remember as, as we go forward. So let's go ahead and look at the verses that I'm going to cover here. Cast your bread upon the waters, or literally, excuse me, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So going to the cast your bread upon waters, it's... Actually, you know, you could look at this as giving or something like that, but really it was uh, in an economic context. So it's about investing, doing, taking what God has given you and doing something with it. It's really about planting, reaping, sowing, and then selling to various ports. That's the cast your bread upon the waters part of it. Send it to faraway places. Now, in John, Jesus talked about planting a seed. You put the seed in the ground, it dies It has to happen that way because when it does, it grows up into a crop. You get many uh, times what you put into the ground. So diversify. Don't just try one thing. Do many things. Try different things because you don't know what's going to succeed or not. It's kind of a don't put your eggs all in one basket kind of a thing. That's kind of a present consideration for me as I'm looking forward to retirement someday. All my eggs in one basket, if that basket breaks, well, where am I? So it's, you know, diversify, do that sort of thing. And one of the other things that uh, came to me is, as we were searching for a pastoral candidate, somebody had come fill the pulpit, one of the things that one of the candidates said was, I want to try many things. I'm not going to just do one thing, and if it fails, well, rats, it's, well, okay, we'll try something else. And that was Ryan. So I was really pleased when uh, we called him here. here. And that comes to some, a lesson that I learned early on as a lieutenant. No plan survives first contact. No matter what you plan, things happen. So let's look at the next couple of verses. When the clouds are full of water, it will rain. 
Okay, I think we know about that. I hit some pretty good puddles this week. It was pretty crazy. Trees fall. We also unfortunately know about that. You don't know where they're going to fall or when they're going to fall. Sometimes they come as a surprise. Buildings crumble. Things happen. We have no control over the elements. These things just happen. So there are things that we can do nothing about, but we try anyway. Our job is to deal with those things that we can deal with. So the second part of no plan survives first contact is the enemy gets a vote. That's something that I deal with at work when we're talking about uh, our programs and that sort of thing is there's opposition out there to what we're doing because we're a business and other people want our business. They get a vote on whether or not we succeed because they're going to try to take it away from us. Well, there are things that we can't control at all that are going to interfere with what we're trying to do. So forces outside of our control impact what we do. But we do it anyway. Because if we don't try, we do nothing. And then the second part of this, uh, this verse here is the timing's never going to be perfect. We can wait until the rain stops. I waited yesterday till the rain stopped before I blew all the leaves off. And guess what? There's more leaves today. Um, but we, tr- we, we pick that time that's best, but not necessarily it's going to be perfect. And right now, it feels like we're kind of in a time of wait. You know, we're waiting for normal to return. Well, normal may never come back. So we got to do. We just need to continually to do. So then we move on to the next, the last two verses. And it talks about um, wind and spirit. These are the same word in Hebrew. Thank you, Ryan. Both are hidden and free from our control. It's just, it's a reality nonetheless. Powerful, but out of our control. God has revealed some things to us. He he gave us his word, but he didn't tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know that. We just don't know how things are going to turn out, but we must do. We must keep moving forward because nothing happens if we don't. So we can see things that happen. You know, we can try something and it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to, we could call that failure. But it's not really a failure. I've seen in my own life things where they didn't go like I wanted them to. And I don't know why. I don't know what the purpose was. Sometimes I may figure it out. Sometimes someone may tell me, I saw that. And here's what I got from it. Like, wow, God had something in that. It felt terrible at the time, but God had something in that. We may never know. We just may never know. Sometimes we do get a glimpse. So be bold. You can go to the last chart there. So in this story, the allegory that we're talking about, Picard chose when he went back to not be bold. And he lived a quiet life. His performance report said, you know what? You've done nothing to stand out. You've, done, you've taken no risk. You've taken no chances. You're just, eh, you're ineffective. And he came to that point 30 years later where he didn't die because he didn't make the same choices that he did. But he realized, my life was boring. I did nothing. I have, I've accomplished nothing. 
So, of course, being TV, he got the chance to go back and do it again. And this time he said, I'm going to be bold again. And so 30 years later, when that incident came up again, he died. And, but as he was dying, he laughed because he knew what had happened. He knew that he had lived a life that had had some impact, that it had changed the lives of other people. And that's what was important. And, of course, being TV, he got to live anyway. So that's, that's the, the allegory for what uh, I got out of these verses is be bold. And have an impact. Try. It may not succeed the way that you think it will, but do it anyway. Just keep trying. And as we live a life of being bold, we also need to be joyful and live godly, and Lars is going to talk to us about that. Thanks, Dan. So, I love this uh, sermon series in Ecclesiastes, and I love uh, what Ryan's given us so far. But the verses that I have here, uh, they show us how to be joyful and be godly. So the verses I'm covering are uh, 7 through 10 in chapter 11. So let's just go ahead and I'll read through all of those right here. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is heaven. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are heaven. Be joyful, be godly. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. This is, um, I love this feeling of that when, when it says light, it's talking about life. It's, it's saying life is good. It's, it's like, I think of like waking up <clears throat> to a new day. Life is good. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So somebody shouted out, how do we, how do we rejoice in living years in America? When we live years, what do we do? We celebrate birthdays. So this is, I'm, what I'm hearing from this is, celebrate your birthdays. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice. We just celebrated, by the grace of God, my dad's 80th birthday. And we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. Um, it was just so much fun to be with friends and have good food and to celebrate many years. 
my family uh, did an excellent job celebrating my birthdays growing up. And um, it was just, it, it made an impact on me. Um, that we, there's a lot of time, um, just, just like this is saying, rejoicing in our years. And um, I just love, I just love how, um, I just love reflecting on that. Um, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is heaven. So don't minimize how many bad days there will be in life. There will be bad days. I think that Hevel here is saying life slips through your fingers. It's, it's, that's the smoke. You try to grab onto it, but you just can't. I'm comforted because when you go through a period of, um, of bad days, sometimes it feels like all the Bible verses that people bring up are happy Bible verses or something like that. So when you're having these dark days, just know that this is for you. You know, that the Bible is, uh, has something for that, too. There's good days and there's bad days. Now, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the days of your heart and by the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Walk in the days of your heart and the sight of your eyes. This is an invitation for us to, to do the things that we would like to do. Um, there's some, something that I learned um, during my faith journey. Um, there's a decision-making kind of um, model called the wisdom model, and um, it's about uh, using wisdom to make decisions in life. And um, the, the, the basic principle is that God gives us a lot of, of instructions and a lot of um, guidelines and rules. There's some, some things that are definitely right and definitely wrong, but a lot of the decisions in life aren't clear or they're not part of those definitely right or definitely wrong, and they're kind of in this neutral middle. Um, and so the, you know, the, the, the basis of this model is, you know, if it's, if it's not definitely right and if it's not definitely wrong and if it's not unwise and if it's not going to um, lead down a, a, an unwise path or it's not going to um, hurt someone else or something, there's these guidelines, then, well, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Um, you've kind of, you know, you've prayed about it, you seek wisdom, and, it's, and you've used the guidelines, then this verse, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. It's almost like this invitation that's like, if that sounds like you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Like, it's, it's grounded in the last sentence. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So there, there is grounding there. So it, it won't, it won't be, um, you know, let let loose. You know, you there's a grounding there. Um, but when you're making a decision, 
And there's two things that are neither right nor wrong. They're just kind of are. And, you know, maybe there's the one that's a little bit, a little bit more straightforward or a little bit, maybe you should do that one. Maybe kind of everyone's expecting you to choose this one. But you really want to do this one for, for whatever reason you just want to. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. That one looks good, so go ahead and do it. You know, if, if, you've, if you've used wisdom and prayer, go ahead and do it. Um, my, this, this uh, reminds me of this tradition that I do with my daughter, Violet. Um, I take her to bring your kid to work day at my work, which is kind of like this um, huge celebration, and there's just kids' activities everywhere, and there's bouncy houses, and there's stations, and um, keynote speech, and everything, and it's wonderful. But the motto that we use, that Violet and I use when we go to bring your kid to work day is, whatever Violet wants to do, that's what we're doing. And um, it's just like, Violet, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. You want to go to the bouncy house? We're going to the bouncy house. You want to do it three more times? We're going to do it three more times. And it's just, I love that um, I get to, I get to, you know, be that, that structure for her. I'm going to keep her out of trouble, but within the, these boundaries, let's do what you want to do. Let's go to the activities that you want to go to, and I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to say, well, Daddy really wants you to, you know, go do this activity or something like that. So, verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are heaven. Remove vexation from your heart. Vexation is annoyed, frustrated, or worried. <clears throat> Do not worry or hold on to annoyances. That's vexation. I think that it's saying life is hard enough and it will get harder. So don't unnecessarily worry or hold on to vexation. Put away pain from your body. Pain may be referring to evil. So put away evil from your body. And that kind of feels to me like um, it's don't don't do things that you know are going to cause your body pain. You know that um, that drugs are going to hurt your body. That's pain. Put away pain from your body and be wise. Don't do those things. For youth and the dawn of life are heaven. And this one is um, really hitting home lately. Violet, my daughter, is turning seven years old. And she is in her youth. And we reflect back and look at the pictures of her when she's growing up. And it's just... Hevel here definitely means it's just a, 
It's slipping through our fingers. It's like we can't hold on to it. She's not our little baby anymore. She's growing up. Her soccer team won their soccer game yesterday. And it, she's a seven-year-old now, so uh, she's just getting older. So, um, so yeah, those are my verses. And uh, Larry, I'll let you take it away. Thank you, Lars. I just uh, want to divert for a moment and brag on our elders a little bit. Um, over half of them are less than half my age. <laughs> And uh, I just have loved the elder board this year. We, we talk about bold, be bold, be joyful, be godly, be in community, and be in Christ. And when I think of the elder board, these, these are things that characterize these guys. In addition to the ones you've met uh, here, Lars and Dan and Jeff, um, there's Greg. I think Greg's probably back there running some piece of equipment or video or something. And also Jason Comerford. And uh, they have, uh, we've, we've been through a couple tough years as a church. All, most churches have, but these are guys that they are committed to seeing through what God wants to do in our church. I'm so proud of them. So just, I'll let you guys know that. So my portion is be in community. And I have the privilege of taking us backwards a little bit to Ecclesiastes 4. And we're going, uh, I'll read it and uh, it'll be up, up on the screen. Starting with verse 7. And, you know, what, what we're going to read here really speaks to the dangers of going it alone. And that's something to me, I, I've thought, you know, that's something our society is really good at. Going it alone. I'm an American, you know, I'm going to do my own thing, you know. And uh, when you read through this, you have to kind of, it gives a new perspective on something that we sometimes think is a strength, and it isn't necessarily... Starting with verse 7, again, I saw vanity or hevel under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling with riches, so that, or sorry, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. I like that play on words. (laughs) Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. And here's, here's the key portion here. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now I know, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes tells us many things are outside of our control. You, you really don't have much control over whether you have a son or a brother, right? I guess you have a little bit over a son, but not much. And so um, we don't always, you know, there, there are uh, times when... when um, we are kind of sailing alone in many ways. But um, these verses urge us to seek community and to seek people that we can be with and be a part of, of a body. And I've been so blessed in my life to have um, friends and my wife Darlene, who's my best friend for 40 plus years, and uh, people to, who aren't necessarily like me and may not agree with me or see eye to eye and all things, but they, but they care about me and they care about me 
in Christ. They care about me because, because of our mutual relationship with Jesus. That's super important. And that's the three-stranded cord, right? I have a friend. I'm just going to pick on this one guy because he's not here. Uh, a, a close friend named John. John and I met in uh, our freshman year at Biola University. Well, Biola College, then now it's university. And we hit it off immediately, and we were both enjoyed communication and student government and stuff like that. So we started a magazine. It was called the 13th Grader Review. <laughs> and if you go back into the annals of Biola's library, you'll find copies of the 13th Grader Review and our ridiculous articles. I don't even remember what we wrote about, but we had a lot of fun doing that. And he, he was a member of the student body. I became a member of the student body, and uh, we supported each other in that. Uh, we, were, we were roommates our sophomore year. And uh, I think we both squeezed four years in, into six at Biola. And after we graduated, many times, you know, you graduate from school and you have friends and you just don't see much of them again except you try to keep up with them on Facebook or whatever. But we kept in touch throughout the years. Um, Darlene and I introduced him to his, his bride at the time, who was the assistant editor of the newspaper that I was editor of. And um, he proposed to her in our living room. <laughs> and I... You know, I was the maitre d' trying to serve lobster, which got away from me and slid across the kitchen floor. <laughs> and I, I had a bottle of fancy wine, which, as Biolans, we didn't drink much wine. And so I didn't realize you needed a corkscrew to get a cork out of the wine. So I was trying to figure out how to get the cork out, and I had used a drill. Never try that, by the way. It doesn't, there's little pieces of cork all in your wine. They put up with a lot. <laughs> but, we, but we were close. We had a close relationship. And as the years progressed and rolled on, and we both had kids... Uh, we found um, the fact that when we were in crisis, and I hit a really bad one uh, about 2004, I think, probably, um, and I won't go into the details of it, but it was something that I don't think I could have survived it without John's help. I, uh, I flew to Southern California. He, he, he was a manager. He was, worked for Newport Beach Police Department, was a manager of a group of guys, and he basically left, left those guys and came and sat with me so he could help talk me through the crisis that I was in and get, get, help me get my head on straight, give me a biblical, godly perspective on what needed to happen. And, uh, and it turned it around for me in ways that were really quite miraculous. And, uh, and a couple years later, I had the opportunity to do a similar thing to him. He, his wife developed a mental illness, and he was struggling. He had an internal affairs um, investigation for the police department, at, and she had accused him of abuse. She later recanted and took it back. But, but you know, he was in all kinds of trouble because of that. And so I was able to be there for him, pray with him, try to just just keep his head on straight. And so, um, you know, this when I read this verse about if, if one, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And that's what we did. We had each other to to lift each other up when we we're in trouble. Darlene's done that with me a ton of times. And um, as many of you have, and one of the huge blessings to me, Elam is known at a church that values community. And, you know, we have groups that love each other, love on each other. We have people when they're in trouble that, that we try to love on through a variety of ways. And uh, as long as people let us know they're in trouble, <laughs> we will try to help them. So um, these verses really speak to me. But the most important part of them is... Um, the three-stranded cord part, which you, which you hit at the very end of this. And um, it basically uh, spoke to me about these verses that are going to come up in Hebrews. The first five verses of the 13th chapter of Hebrews says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And I was struck by the context of that promise, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. God dwells in all the things that were mentioned here. Go to the next slide, please. So there are things that that, uh, Solomon has told us are hevel, are smoke. And among those are isolation, when we we are an island to ourselves, greed, uh, temporary pleasures, and uh, the love of money. And these are all things addressed in this package, in this passage. Um, It says, uh, let brotherly love continue. These are things that are not hevel. Next slide. Brotherly love, not hevel. Hospitality, entertaining strangers, not hevel. It's meaningful. Um, Fidelity uh, to your spouse, fidelity to your friends, to the people that you care about, being true to them, telling them the truth and love, not hevel. Um, This is what God calls us to do together. And then finally, contentment. That's the opposite of love of money and and greed and riches. Let's be content with whatever God has provided you. And this is one of the things that Ecclesiastes has helped to affirm for us that, that are super important. Uh, we've talked about in his wisdom, Solomon did not know the one who tells us in the very last verses of the Gospel of Matthew, the next passage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus promised through his Holy Spirit to be with us, to add meaning, to bring meaning to our life. In uh, John 15, he talks about, uh, he uses the the metaphor of of he's the vine, and we are to keep connected to the vine, or else we die. Basically, we're out there by ourselves. The three-stranded uh, cord is us together, you and I, connected to Jesus in the midst of that. He is the third strand of that cord. So what I would like to do today is invite you. Many people have a two-stranded cord or a one-stranded cord. They don't have a three-stranded cord. And if you feel um, God tugging at your heart, to say, how do I get into relationship with Jesus? How do I get connected to the vine? Um, I want to I avail myself of that promise that he will always be with me, that he will never forsake me. I would, I would invite you, it's a simply a matter of stepping out in faith and confessing your sins to him and saying, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I believe in you. And if you, you would like any of us, the elders that I mentioned, uh, or Ryan next week, to help guide you through that. We'd love to sit down and pray with you and do that. We, we want to be here for you for that. So let me close off our time today with just a word of prayer as our worship team comes forward. Father, thank you for this series. Uh, it's been uh, different because we're seeing 
life and wisdom through the perspective of one who um, you granted great wisdom to, Solomon, and yet he did not yet know what we know, and that's that Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he's the one who can dispel the smoke, dispel the hevel in our lives and give life meaning. Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't yet know our precious Savior, that through your Holy Spirit you would speak to them today that you would make yourself known to them you'd whisper in their ear that they would have the courage the boldness to step out and to begin to experience joy himself in Jesus name I pray